Hello and welcome to another episode of the Testing Peers podcast. It's been a long time since we've all been together, but the Fab Four are back all all together for tonight. I'm here with David. Hello. Chris. Greetings. Russell. Good day. And I'm Simon. We are delighted that Saffron QA continue to sponsor the podcast. Saffron QA is a specialist in testing recruitment, offering permanent contract and a newly developed retained recruitment service. More details can be found in the show notes or please reach out to Ben directly to find out more. It's been a while since we've said this, but Chris Banter, over to you. Hello. Now, we're talking today about things like planning and estimation which Simon may or may not have mentioned, listener, but don't worry, I got your back. So I've been thinking about things that I have enjoyed researching when I wanted to go and get something new for myself, or if I was buying a nice gift for someone else. And I wanted wanted to just sort of know how you three maybe like to sort of invest in your research for things that you're really interested in, be it your favourite football shirt or a new mobile phone or a vacation or anything like that i'm a bit of a sucker for a trello board and an excel sheet i'll be honest with you has anyone got any interesting tales of where they maybe spent a little bit too much time and effort into uh, researching something before buying it i can see russell i'm thinking kit cars (laughs) i was thinking the same thing yes there was lots of research into kit cars i'm an analyst I guess is what the way I view myself. So uh, kit cars, spreadsheets, houses, spreadsheets, multiple pages, lots of sort of filters and all sorts of different things to calculate cost benefit analysis and all sorts, but massive spreadsheets of just numbers and calculations and what the rates would be for this versus that and so on. I like a good spreadsheet and I like a lot of data. I like values, costs, and all sorts. But yes, I worked out exactly how much it would cost me to build a car with every manufacturer of Cobras. So yes, I'm um, a stats data guy. I think I'm also a spreadsheet person. It's, especially, it's always a good place to start. However, I'm not quite as um, detailed as Russell. But generally, I, what I would how my search sort of criteria is, I will scan the internet and look for the best sort of thing and then i'll probably write it down in excel spreadsheet and then just pause for a minute and actually consider whether i actually need it or want it or what what the best value is to me you know is it next day delivery or is it you know paying extra for whatever and then decide it that way i do have friends who have for various things produce a powerpoint presentation for making decisions but i haven't personally yet gone down that route i have the tendency to shoot from the hip with buying things which is not always the best idea but for things like holidays um, for big purchases i won't quite quite go to the length of a spreadsheet but i might go to the length of reading all the reviews so let's say for a for a holiday home and this this came back to bite us this year with our holiday i we spent ages reviewing loads of houses well, we wanted to go in Bournemouth, reviewing loads of houses on Airbnb, looking at all the reviews, whether they were special host or not, or whatever the, the category is. And then we found this one. We somehow turned the filters all off. No special host, no nothing else. Found this house that we ended up going to. 
all the reviews were good everything was positive and then um you know so we made the purchase and then a couple of months later all the negative reviews started filing in and then obviously what happened on holiday was it was a complete disaster so we've had that kind of experience but i do tend to when i'm buying stuff i will read reviews which is something that sometimes causes a bit of frustration in this household because i will hold off buying things because i haven't read the reviews yet or i'll say after something's been bought well didn't you check these reviews there's a few reviews here that aren't very good and then that causes anxiety and panic in the household of oh, well, we shouldn't have bought it so then it's like well maybe we shouldn't have read the reviews so i do tend to like reading the reviews but this, i guess you probably got that from this message that's probably i don't go as far as spreadsheets but i do do like to find out what other people have thought of it you gave the example where there are some negative reviews have you found that the opposite is effect you said you, they had negative reviews and that reinforced your bias have you had read negative views and actually then realized actually the, the product you bought was actually quite good and those negative reviews are not there have there's there's always those things where some people find a reason to complain for something when actually there's nothing wrong with the product yes lots of cases with stuff especially amazon purchases i'm trying to think of one recently since we've moved house but there's been a few where we've bought new stuff for the house in fact these these floating shelves that i've got on the wall i think i read the reviews for those and it was like oh they're really complex to put on the wall and all this kind of stuff but actually yeah a couple of screws they're up so <laughs> perspective is an interesting one isn't it it About, is yeah. <laughs> reviews are always those it depends on your view and your opinion what's hard for you is different to another person so many so many so many parallels and things i think that the for me it's normally sort of technology based purchases i will go in depth i will read reviews maybe not as many as simon but i will also do the spreadsheets and i will look for the best prices these days i watch a few youtube reviews from from folks that i respect is that ryan not ryan no he does he only reviews toys it's not generally where I'm, I'm aiming with my tech purchases, but things like phones, cameras, TVs, ovens, washing machines, all the exciting stuff. I like to sort of you know, get get a feel for those things rather than going into a showroom or being blinded by X, Y, Z. I kind of have a work out mm-hmm. a list of sort of my non-negotiables, things that I'd, uh, I'd like, but also work out my ceiling for a price that I'd want to pay. And uh, then you sort of, do your research to see who's going to do a flash sale and when and and all these other tidbits that like I, I was once in the queue at Drayton Manor when the phone I wanted to get um, went on a flash sale and so they're really <laughs> ignoring my family um I was I was given permission thankfully because I told my wife what I was trying to do and how much money I was going to save it saved 300 pounds on a mobile phone by getting a flash sale so it was worth it but there was a mad panic trying to make sure I got there before the uh I mean, I was a complete sucker for the flash sale, but at the same point, I did save money. So, but yeah, lots, lots, and lots of time investing in things that aren't necessarily important to other people, but it's important to me. I hate the feeling of feeling like I've made a mistake buying something, spending my own money on stuff, because I also don't like returning stuff. Yes, um, so I, re- I really sure. want to. I, I want to get it right. I don't want to have to return it. There's a whole rabbit hole we could go down talking about returning things. Or just keeping something and willing, willing it to be all right. I think, I think that's banned for another episode. Yes, I think you're but right. Let's, let's move on to some sort of planning and estimation. Russell, do you want to tell us where this idea came from? 
So we had a message on Twitter from um, one of our followers, uh, Joe Richards, who was asking us a question a little bit about some story points and uh, user stories. So they they recently tweeted something themselves and found that there was actually quite a diverse response. So they're asking kind of us a little bit about what our views were around story points, stories, user stories in general. So why don't we share how we how we think about story points, stories, user stories, and estimations and things of that ilk? I think it's probably a really a common thought, or at least I thought it was a common thought, is story points can be very subjective. And it is very much down to depends on its audience that you're using it, whether people can really be that abstract about something, because there's always this 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 dying need in teams to what does this what does one story point mean? How many days, how many hours does one story point equate to? And 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 then you you lose the value of story points straight away. Is it's it's very difficult to to keep that that going in in a very positive line as soon as you refer it back to actual time time lengths. Probably shouldn't. Well, exactly. Uh, I've I've never worked in a team where they've used story points effectively. As I've said in previous episodes, I've never really worked in a fully agile way. Teams that pay lip service to it, but never really fully committed to everything around it. So the story points thing is never something that's ever really, really sort of hit the mark. We've always done, you know, hours, six hours a day, referred to sprint time estimates. And in more recent times, it's been even further away from story points. It's been more about, you know, how many, how is it 0.5 of a resource for how many weeks do we need to do this piece of work and all that kind of estimation, which is is is, is horrible. Um, and we're trying to move away from that again now, thankfully. So yeah, I've not got great stories to tell about story points, but it's um, certainly a, a useful if it's used properly. I've seen a couple of really bad practices with story points thing as we're running with the bad stories <laughs> to start with. We can talk about like good things and, and, and thoughts later, but I saw once saw a project manager uh, come in and he was trained by the senior project manager uh, to on how to understand story points and and the very complex algorithm that had been worked out by the senior project manager for x number of story points equals x amount of time and therefore everything in the backlog equals this amount of time and that is when the project will be delivered. That was one example. Um, another one which I actually think is more dangerous because the other one is kind of just stupid and whatever. The one that I saw was more dangerous is I worked in a company where uh, five scrum teams worked on the same code base and they demoed collectively off the same main branch at the end of every sprint cycle. And they were all expected to use the exact same benchmark for each and every story, regardless of complexity, available skill, any of these sorts of things. And then there was this competition between well this team delivered this many story points that team delivered that many story points completely defeating the object of a story point which i understand we haven't really explained what we understand Mm. a story point to be at this point but what i can tell you is the story points are there for the team not for the other people attending demos and so i would much rather in terms of demos that points aren't even talked about quite frankly because it became toxic and unhelpful you're demoing the work not 
It's got no yeah. reflection, reflection and relationship yet, to it. metrics and numbers, Russell. They're very, 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 very easy to report on and just think oh, that is the measure by which I'm doing these. Um, and and it, it was, it, there were literally people, hippos and the like, highest paid people in the organisation who only saw that number and then would think Team X was out delivering Team Y just because they saw 30 story points versus 12 or whatever and and the damage that is done with those things is is very very high it's the same with any measure isn't it it's it's you know the same with one team is delivering more lines of code than another team therefore that team must be more productive but actually you talk about twitter now aren't you yeah exactly (laughs) um but is it is it worth trying to define or someone finding a resource on what story points are actually there to do what the point of them Ah, is that something that's Why worth covering? Why don't we give covering? R kind of summary and see if we oh, all kind of come to a consensus? Do that and then find a definitive thing, perhaps. Well, I, I think you'll never find a definitive thing because there isn't really. <laughs> you mean this? There's one true, one true story point scrum guide. Okay, there's Wikipedia, thing. but um, <laughs> you know, um, so it's a relative estimation sizing technique based on comparing things based upon teams usually and often using a practices such as planning poker to avoid anchoring and other biases. Um, it's based on the concept that two people won't take the exact same amount of time to do a bit of work, but can agree it's in relation that is equivalent of one unit or five units or whatever method you want to do. Uh, you generally it uses a Fibonacci sequence because obviously as complexity grows and numbers grow, your accuracy reduces. So you don't try and have one, two, three to 99. It also saves time by not trying to be accurate when you can't be. So obviously teams use that, but what you generally try and do is as a team or group, agree a collective understanding of a story or several stories in order to make a baseline that you can then relatively estimate against. Is that bigger, smaller? And then you can do the relative sizing against it. That's how I would basically describe story points in a nutshell. Agree, disagree. Want to add to that? Yeah, no, I think I think that's that's pretty solid. Do you want to do you want to possibly t- touch into velocity or burn down and the sort of the goal of getting better at estimating? Well, one of the things that stories points can give you is things like velocity, so you can understand how many points you can achieve in the sprint or a time box period, depending on what you're doing, um, so that then you can compare velocities of your team over a period of time with your velocity grows. Obviously, if your baseline changes your velocity becomes new. It changes as well. So if, for example, you change which stories you're relatively estimating against, you have to redo your velocity. But also every team generally will have a different baseline Mm -hmm. because they're working on different stories. So story points are generally team-specific. You can't compare one team to another team, one area to another area, because their baselines are different. If you do happen to have a miracle and you have multiple teams agree the same baselines, then in theory you can compare across them in the sense of their velocity going up or down you can't compare 20 points done by this team to 20 points done by this team but obviously you can compare the trends so their velocity improvements up and down versus anything else because one team could have six senior people in it three junior people in it and so on so the baselines and velocities will not be directly comparable yeah, I think that's the key thing is is even even a slight change to a team where one person is switched out can completely alter 
there's story points that could you know you got someone else different opinions coming in for the estimation and the velocity will be different yeah and and as we mentioned earlier it's very easy for people above and along that on the outside to look at scrum teams and think well hang on that team's delivering more value than this team because they're doing more story points but it could be the size makeup's different it could be the skilled skill sets different um it could be the work they're doing is more complex etc etc there's so many factors around it um but this is i guess the thing about in good scrum masters coaches yes absolutely should be challenging those leaders um part of the job of a agile scrum master or an agile coach in many ways is to kind of inform help coach mentor prevent some of the abuses i think we've already started talking about because like any system it can be abused it can be misused and it is dangerous just as bad as time is yes um so it's one of those things i have a personal love of story points i've seen it used in lots of teams very well and also to enable release planning um long-term big sprints and all the rest of it it's been very successful where i've worked because i've been able to extrapolate everyone's independent views of time so it's been able to kind of get broad averages versus detailed one person does half a point a day type things it's in a sprint we do 40 and i've had teams that do 40 points in a sprint and teams that do 120 because their bases are different that's fine doesn't mean one's better than the other it just means that okay in a two-week period they roughly get through 120 points so in three sprints if we're lucky they'll get through 360 if we're lucky because again it's an average it's not set in stone it doesn't mean they'll exactly get through 360 most sprints and most time boxes you get most stories done if you've got good patterns so some things might overrun but again it's about taking things with a pinch of salt precision is the enemy here um, you can't be that precise that's the whole point so rather than spending weeks and days for precision spend less time on precision and use the law of average i've done there was something i did which was and i've seen other people do this which is skip the story points altogether and just count how many tickets um, and actually you can use the velocity of how many tickets a team can achieve if tickets are relatively similar sizes so no one takes in huge things and tiny things you can average out that and you can actually work out how many sprints again it'll take to get through 100 tickets team does from one of my worlds was between 18 and 22 over about four sprints that's what they were consistently doing so i took the average there of 20 it's quite easy for the maths um i could see that roughly in four sprints they'd do 80 tickets assuming the backlog was a reflection again of a mixed group so there's some assumptions you have to make but it's just as accurate as any other estimate you're going to do there's, there's always a problem with those things isn't there with like gamification and people like yeah. saying right if 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 our team is measured by yeah. those those numbers that that and we are expected to deliver blah 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 that they can play the system yeah you um, look for consistency I, though rather than constantly trying to micromanage into improvements that well, you, 20 you hope so. 21 there's, 22 and 23 every there's, sprint, that, the, go there's a division isn't there which we've, we've touched upon a few times about the the people who are actually doing the work and the people who are maybe consuming or, or, or expecting the work for those paying bits. for it and yeah. I, I think there's always been that split in any company between those who are trying to work in an agile way of working and those who have to work in a very much more linear project delivery kind of cycle and that's tough well i was just going to reiterate that i i agree with the story points 
you know, Russell was saying about one group being uh, having 120 or achieving 120, that sometimes there can be that competitive edge and it needs to be taken away from that concept of we're so much better than you. We're three, you know, the people who have been doing 40, we're three times better. No, that it's the concept of the story points is a different benchmark, you know, because you could just triple the other one and, and have the same amount. You know, it, it every group has a different benchmark. And as we've discussed before in Agile, the whole point of Agile is that each team create their own structure almost immediately that they've they've actually been created. So that story points should be just specific to that time. And if they move to a different project, then again, it's a negotiation of what is perceived to be the story point. And I also agree that I think that the, the big mismatch is the difference between story points and, and time. There is mm -hmm. a very, people are very eager, they want to, to measure it against something because having an abstract story point, sometimes people don't cope with that. Yeah. So the easiest coping strategy is to add time to it. And unfortunately yeah. that, that sort of breaks it down because as soon as you don't achieve your point for a half day, then the system's broken you know, mm. for whatever reason, it's just a more complex thing. And so therefore that again needs to be picked up as part of the agile and reconsidered. And again, that comes back to the scrum master or whoever's running that particular project to make sure that it, that that is broken down, that those misconceptions. If you move to using time, like say a point half a day, you might as well just start using time. Yes. Um, there is no point. You're just kind of doing it for the, you're, you're, you're adding extra layers onto it then because then you're gonna to have to explain to everyone you when you're presenting stuff oh well now in, in our world one story point is is half a day yeah you know it adds an accent and actually just it corrupts just, the team as well it does just just searching story points on google you get mm -hmm. the list of questions come up and the list of questions are how many hours is one story point how many hours is three story points is half, <laughs> is points is point five story points okay how many days is two yes. story points are all the questions there and it's just like who knows people just people are craving to have that understanding of what a story point means. But the, the ultimate is it is a unit of measurement that's used to determine how much effort is required to complete, to complete a product backlog item. It doesn't matter. This is the thing. Effort is trying to incorporate into it physical effort. So, you know, sometimes that's part of time because that's what we consume to effort, but also risk, uncertainty, un knowledge, gaps, things that we have to consider outside of that. I try and use things like, traveling as a kind of analogy to describe it like traveling to your local shops how certain of you how long it's going to take mm. quite certain traveling to a bigger city nearby you get a bit more harder because you've got different travel mechanisms you know how you get there might be different actually i might take the bus depending on the traffic times of it and things oh i might get this bus rather than that bus but then and you extrapolate to cities going like cross country like for me going to London, the complexity and the more things going on there, that is so much more times complicated than me traveling to Peterborough or somewhere else. And if you try and extrapolate that into numbers, just relative scales, me going to the shop is tiny, 0.05. Me going to the nearest city is maybe a two because it's not that far still for me. I think the other the other level of complexity, if you add complexity into the mix there, you may have a, a two-hour journey that requires six tube changes or six train changes. You might also yep. have a two hour journey that is straight down a motorway in a car and you don't have to do anything challenging. And so, you might have a train strike. Well, that as well. The other thing I was going to say with that analogy is the fact that the the 
length of the journey or the distance of the journey is also the planning time as well as part of that mm -hmm. you know it gets, yeah. everything gets more shops, complicated you can just get your shoes on and, and pop there you know traveling to london you have to take those considerations like you say a strike you know am i getting in the car what time of day am i going there, there is a lot more planning time that's associated yep. with that so it isn't Research, just a yeah. simple thing yeah exactly and, and it's kind of comparing them this journey is twice this journey this journey is mm -hmm. you know and that's why you try and pick stories as reference points. You don't just go for a one-pointer because what's 13 points compared to one? It's very hard mm. to imagine 13 times one <laughs> in terms of effort. Um, so you try and pick things that are maybe a one or a two, something you can go half higher, and something higher. And I feel like I'm going into a coaching session now, but never mind. <laughs> um, but if you pick the wrong baseline, it's even harder for your teams to get their heads around it because I couldn't tell you what, kind of 13 times more um, effort or, you know, 10 times more effort than a one point uh, type thing. It's very hard to do. And actually the granularity is a really key thing, mm. you know, making sure that that particular level is, is correct. There's also the question of if you have a story and you're estimating points, are you estimating test effort as well? <gasps> Ooh, should so be all just... effort. Now, in the ideal world, it's released to production effort. Um, if you can do CD, particularly, that's what it should be. But you often you'll compromise this somewhere and have Intermaster yeah. or something else. But I definitely think the minimum you should expect is dev and test effort to a certain agreed point. So the follow-on to that is, do the tools that we use every day that are agile actually help us in this process or are they making a rod for our backs i think they direct you down a certain way of doing things i think they they almost anchor you into doing things in a certain way and in, in that certain way i've sometimes found that spreadsheets and other ways of managing it you know post-it notes etc etc is much more rewarding when trying to work out the estimates than sticking it and having drop down boxes in jira or whatever other tool it is to select the number value that we have to put against each story um jira being the wonderful tool that's for agile teams but doesn't allow anybody any more than one person to work yes on you can only one have time. one person allocated so you have to create the same you have to split the story into three and have the same story attached to different people or a task it only allows story. one person to be owner but it doesn't necessarily mean one person can be not working at once that is true, but you know how these things are interpreted. Yes, exactly. yes. I guess the, the, ne the next question I was going to ask is, have you tried T-shirt sizing with business value? and, and That's that one that yes. we use all the time now uh, to start with. But it's always the let's do initial estimates with T-shirt sizes and then let's break it down into further detail and go into the more more number crunching once we've worked out t-shirt sizing gives us a very very high level thing but it doesn't give us enough detail we can't work out an end date at that point but this is obviously in a world where it's not agile it's not iterative it's it's much yeah. more um the one that i've sort of learned a little bit about recently you know i've been sort of doing some googling around it as well is i don't know if any of you have heard the one alan page has mentioned a few times on his ab testing podcast that he uses at um, unity which is the p50 where you only est you estimate to a 50% level of certainty of when that's going to be delivered. It gives us that threshold of, well, we're only admitting it's going to be 50% certain that we're going to deliver by this date or do this by this date. 
and it has that whole flexibility around the the estimates but you just put it as a p50 estimate never but i kind of always caveat my estimates are estimates or forecasts i generally try and refer to them as um they are not things that you can accept until they get closer and closer to the time yeah, the language we use doesn't always help does no, it because we we talk that. about we talk about like these estimates and people say that it's done but also they call it a sprint yes a sprint after a sprint after a sprint the language isn't very helpful no, at all, it's not sometimes yeah we make bad english choices but i do think that actually although we use the word estimate that again going back to the sort of limit of time you know people see it as set in stone i have to achieve this within a certain time i'm i'm falling behind but it it's an estimate and as long as again the communication is there as to why things might be taking longer and and actually the complexity is too much so the story point was necessarily wrong in the first place you know yeah. again it it's it's communication is are often the main thing you know to re to sort of break down those perceptions that it is time that it is you know that it isn't a forecast and things like that people want certainty it's a bit annoying because yeah an estimate if you got from a builder and they came in and went oh yeah but your walls weren't straight and all oh, your floorboards were rotten so we um we know the estimate went up because of this this and this you kind of have no choice but to pay if you see what i mean or just not get you're the work actually, done you're actually reminding me of a talk that i saw andrew brown do at eurist uh, um he was specifically talking about estimates that are made by consultancies when they come in and observe something and and they say actually if they gave a true estimate they'd never get the job never get the job yeah so they go in lower and then you know they would find these other all things. these things yeah. yeah and then the job would end up costing more money and even if the people who are spending the money know that that's the case they're always going to have to take the lower one and mm. so like the win the winner is the one who's given the lowest estimate and even though everyone basically knows that isn't what's going to happen yep they'll end up spending more money what a remarkably stupid world we live in when that is the norm i've been involved in those sort of client chain negotiations where you have to give estimates and so on and you have to kind of take out some of the reality to make the estimate better more palatable knowing full well what's reality is going to happen because you know the client or the maturity or the the, the processes or something in play but you have to take it out and put an assumption in instead saying everything will be fine and obviously that assumption fails pretty much day one like you'll get system access within 10 minutes no it takes about a week um so you know that your estimates are wrong it gives you that maneuverability to change things it's um it's a dangerous thing with um getting contracts from people and you've got to look out for what people are charging you for see which is the actual real best deal and i this think is going, this is I going think, back to your spreadsheet russell yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh don't get me started I, 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 it brings us to a different kind of estimating really doesn't it you know we've talked very much about estimating in sprints but you've just touched on you know going to a consultancy and asking for an estimate from them how what's what techniques do you use for creating that that estimate or costings <laughs> um that was me putting my finger in the air um it depends. So I recently saw a opportunity for uh, something, which was automate 60 test cases. Tell us how much it's going to cost. Literally, there wasn't much more in it than that. You have to do it in our systems. It need to be something away, and you have to come away, and you have to kind of do a proposal for them. Um, you, 
You can't do much with that. You can negotiate with them and so on. The best guess is someone already knows what they want and is already proposing it. Um, and it's kind of been worded so badly to enable somebody else to get that opportunity because no one else can accurately estimate that sort of stuff. But there's kind of the top-down approach, bottom-up, but normally it's asking questions, trying to work things out, using experience-based ideas, T-shirt sizing it, comparing it to relative other projects of a similar nature. If you've worked with the same client, it's great and easy because you can use your knowledge of that client to do it. You can do three-point estimation as well, so you can kind of do best case, worst case, average, most likely sort of thing. But you know, I think I did that recently for a, one opportunity, and the range was ridiculous because there's so little information. So we said, well, the best way to get a more accurate estimate is let's have a further conversation. Let's do a discovery, pay for a discovery, then we can give you more accurate things. Because there's no way you can estimate accurately based on a one-page document of requirements. It just doesn't happen. No one on earth can give you a good estimate from that. And there's a case, isn't there, when if you plan everything up front to the nth degree... Wrong. <laughs> It's, it's like it's like when you say once something's published, it's out of date. A plan never survives the first interaction or something, isn't it? The first um, shot of battle or something. I agree with everything you said, but I would also include the element of risk that highlighting to the client all the risks that are involved with the estimation, because then it gives gives yeah. you a bit of a caveat of, of you know we've considered this is what we haven't considered or we can see it uh, consider it to be a problem with our estimations. And I think that's an important tool to include. You're right. Dependencies and yeah. risks are two of the things so that you can caveat it later. Yeah. So there was a reason I asked that particular question is because I'm about to go into my first owned RFP myself where I'm looking at new clients for understanding how they get their estimates together is, is useful to see from that side of the, the fence as well. But um, How would you do it, I guess, is the question, then figure out from there. Yeah. Well... Yeah, now you've said all of that, it's kind of very similar that you would you would kind of use a, a mix of things to come come together with it. Yeah, generally have conversations to help. If you if you say, oh, it's going to take six months and the person goes, oh, I was expecting three. And that is a crucial part of any estimating process anyway. And, and that's something, you know, we've touched on the crudeness of story points, but actually your estimates get better the more conversations, the more you learn, the more the more you deal with the interactions of understanding what the purpose is of what we're doing, what the value is, how we're going to deliver it. Context. What skill? Well, yeah, exactly. What skills we have in the team, you know, what tools we have, et cetera, et cetera. And once you get a full picture, then you can give more realistic estimates. But sometimes you're asked for these estimates when you know next to nothing. And therefore the yeah. story points are even less valuable at that point. That Because I was going to say that is that sometimes, especially in consultancy the, the client may not necessarily have a good idea of what what's actually happening which is why they're coming to a, a consultancy and actually their perception of of the value that they're adding might be far lower than the complexity of the work so in that case the estimation again is needs to be reflected as to what um and set the client's expectations a bit more clearly changing the subject slightly so let's say you weren't doing story points, okay, and you were doing time estimates or something else like that. So obviously story points we talked about before being generally combined. Dev test is what we think should be ideal. Should be whatever it takes to get something to a done, whatever you agree done to be. If you're not doing story points and you're doing something like time, how do you come to an agreement over how long something will take 
with all these parties involved in it and making sure that one party doesn't steal more time from the other party and everyone gets their fair share of it. Because I've never had to deal with it in that way. And I'm just curious. Yeah, we, we've struggled a bit with that because sometimes our our time estimates include both dev and test. And we've always tried to set, we've always asked, requested that tests be separate. But people will fill their time. They'll see, oh, it's two days to fulfill this task as the developer is because they're first. So they fill the two days and therefore the test. There's no time left. Yeah. There's no time left for the test because because the perception of time is I've got all the time that I need. And all that time is mine. They don't necessarily see the the, the split if it the yeah. split if it isn't split up naturally. So that's always a tricky thing for us. I've never worked somewhere where they've explicitly used time. It's always been sort of implied. I think from experience where where there has been time has been the the implied thing. The 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 one thing I, I I've always felt has been the problem has been when there have been individuals who sort of show how they can do everything fast themselves they can be the superhero who swoops in to fix things and does all these other things and sort of lords their glory over everybody else that thing is resolved by team ownership of quality and a good team ethic and a good team ethos of everyone is equal parts responsible for getting things across but switching from that real individualistic mindset to a team mindset is a very tricky thing and probably something for another time. Thank you for that poignant note there, Chris, at the end. It's time, I think, though, we do move on. So let's wrap this one up. So thank you very much to all our listeners. Thank you once again to our sponsor, Saffron QA. Um, you can find us on all the sort of social media things these days, I think. Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook. Um, I forgot what exists these days. Everything you can possibly think of, we're probably there. Is there a new one, Mastodon? Are we on that one yet? Not sure. Maybe watch this space. Who knows? Um, and of course, you can email us at contact us at testingpeers.com. So thank you once again for joining us. We look forward to you listening to us again one day soon. For now, it's goodbye from the Testing Peers. Goodbye. Goodbye.